Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. Now, were it be, were it to be, <laughs> that I received a lot of compliments in life, I might be a happier guy. <laughs> I don't get a lot of complaints, and I certainly believe that I get my fair share of compliments. I don't want to play to the so-called audience too much. I don't want to necessarily be hanging on everyone's word, whether they like me or don't like me, respect me or don't respect me. But I do give consideration to such factors. I think there is something to be said for appearance. I don't know that it's all egotistical, narcissistically bent. I just think that sometimes presentation does matter. And even as the Apostle Paul said, uh, become all things to all matter of men so that I might win them over to Jesus Christ. And certainly we live in a world that is image-driven. But I would like to believe that the greatest compliment anyone could pay me would be that I had a heart and my heart was <laughs> reflective or in that way that it would be turned unto Christ Jesus. I would be an example of the living word. One of those sort of, to me, odd compliments I get, I suppose it is possibly, however, as I'm thinking of it, and sharing it with you today on the podcast, possibly it is one of the highest order compliments I do receive have nothing to do with my appearance or my image to this extent. It's not that I'm handsome. Uh, certainly all of you know I'm not eloquent of speech. Uh, I feel like Moses, a man of stammering lips, but only when it's a performance issue. Otherwise, I could talk up a storm. And my wife is fond to remind me that I do not need to be preaching sermons to her. She is quite capable of reading the Bible herself. And that our conversations, when it becomes sermonizing, she loses interest in it. But they often tell me I'm not judgmental. Which to me is very fascinating because everything that I do, I do as unto the Lord, as I've tried to say, not unto man. I give consideration. <laughs> even as I might attempt it, I know that I'm not perfect even in that. But that is a judgment. It's not a judgment, I suppose, of them and possibly therein. It's the compliment. It's a judgment unto God. And I've chosen Jesus. That is a judgment. That is the only judgment that I hold. It is, I think then, possibly, now that I'm thinking about all of this, that is a high-ordered compliment. If only because what it means is I've chosen Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And then stop judging everything else. That doesn't mean I don't make choices every day as to rights and wrongs, as to what others think or don't think as part of my decision-making, their input, uh, whether they be Christian or not. I still am considerate of others 
It's all second order to, though, my primary, which is my relationship with God in Jesus Christ through the operation of the Holy Spirit as He has been in me all along. And I hear from that same place that has been in me all along, now with such clarity, the voice of Jesus. Who I clear everything with first. At least try to. I'm going to go to the book of Romans. And I'm going to go to chapter 2. And I'm going to begin with verse 16. But they'll be offended. Or surprised or offended. If I don't go then back to verse 1. Maybe. (laughs) Somewhere around there. And proceed through all the verses that lead up to 16. To then add context. To what I think is, as with verse 16, the most sentinel message, certainly, of Romans chapter 2, passage-wise, but maybe the whole book of Romans. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God, (laughs) emphasis, shall judge, emphasis, The secrets of men, the otherwise not so superficial, image-related, narcissistic, egotistical, outward representations, but the secrets, those things that would take a little bit of either, maybe not either, but both, discernment as well as indiscernment, You have to get to know the person a bit. Or at least have to have the ability to see past the superficial. And as they used to say, go to the heart of the matter. And how is that judgment performed? God's judgment by Jesus Christ. Now Paul did add, according to my gospel. And... The Gospel of Paul, and I believe I've mentioned this already heretofore on a previous podcast. That's okay. Paul's taking what Jesus brought to him, what he knew of word Jesus brought to him now in living word context, and in a personalized way, a personal testimony way, is now speaking to it. Speaking of it, sharing it, extending it, as not only would then be as applied to his life and the relevance therein, but the relatability to his contemporaries. And, as he might not have even conceived of it at the time himself, I don't know, maybe he knew, maybe he didn't, he would be speaking it through the word as we now have it all these generations later and still finding relevance that it's relatable I too have a gospel <laughs> you may not care I too have a gospel which I feel compelled to share how do you know that because one I'm on the podcast two I do it as part of my specialized pastoral care, Christian counseling ministry. 
and three, you're listening to it, and there may be four, five, and six. I don't know. Those are the first three that come to my mind. And I feel compelled to share it. I feel compelled to tell my testimony of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe in the operation, the Holy Spirit, alive within me. I believe that Jesus came to bring life unto me by restoring that which the devil had attempted to steal. Wasn't successful. Because I made that most critical of judgments, not of someone else so much, not of you or any of those counselees that come to see me, the man on the street, the woman on the street, the neighbor. But I applied it to myself. But once that is correct, then so to my vision correct in seeing everyone for whom they really are in the heart of the matter sort of way. But I still resist the temptation to judge because once I begin to judge, I begin to presume that my judgments are complete, then I make me the source of my salvation. I rely on me to make decisions. Critical decisions. Life and death sort of decisions. And all decisions in life are life and death decisions. I know ad nauseum. Make you sick at your stomach. I've talked too much about life and death. I'm not going to quit talking about life and death. But I'm not going to probably place it in such a place of prominence. Put it in such a place of prominence as to rub your nose in it. (laughs) But really adaptability is living. And All things that die, they're not necessarily maladaptive. I think there's a natural order of things, and it's elegant, and it's beautiful. God created it. It includes the passing away of the material form. We call it death. I don't know that it's evil or ugly. But what's evil and ugly is when we don't really understand that, possibly even in that most basic of ways, lesser but most basic of ways, then to realize if we don't reconcile ourselves at least to that fact, then we are egotistical, then we are narcissistic, then we are glorifying the creature, not the creator. Jesus' gospel is don't glorify the creature, don't glorify yourself, but also in that then whatever the creature becomes Whatever the creature was created to be, whatever the creature does, it's God's to judge. After all, he's the creator. He made it all. He put it all into motion. He conceived it all before he made it. It is his mind. It is his will. It is his way. It is his narrative. And that's why he gave it to us. Even so, not without being written in our hearts, but because it was written in our hearts, not our head, and because the head takes a while to get to the place where we begin to realize it's not about us, it's about God and our service unto his creation, 
creation wasn't such. Created to serve us. We're created to serve creation. God. All his creation. But children are very narcissistic and very egotistical. They think that way. That is the iniquity. Our first awareness of self comes from a perspective that really isn't very broad, isn't very big, isn't very, I guess, expansive in that it's not all-inclusive. It's very selfish because the human apparatus and capability, self-awareness is the first awareness that we have. Oh, I am a me. I think philosophically that's been established. I think psychologically it's been established. I think from the beginning of time, even time itself. It doesn't start with me, but I think it does. I think I'm the beginning of everything. I think God created everything for me. And then when I get to the age of accountability, awareness where my human apparatus brain develops, I get to the place where I'm not just thinking in such narcissistic, egotistical terms, driven by my pleasure or my pain, I begin to realize it's not about me. Oh, the narcissistic wound. Oh, the material death of myself. Oh, it's not about me. I mean, that's right. But are you glad it's about God? Because at that point, as you would then come to that age of awareness, accountability, and you would choose then to give your life to the highest order of life, and that is serving God, life itself, you become so aligned with the Holy Spirit and God's really true intention and will. Yes, he celebrates you. Yes, he did create humans for fellowship. And yes, we are quite possibly, although who knows, maybe this is narcissistic, the highest order of his existence or being on earth, in earth, At least we can conceive of such things and have discussions such as this and have personal gospels and then share them with one another. But if they're not tethered to Jesus Christ, to the principle of all life is in Christ, everything outside of Jesus' death, God is the God of the living, not the dead, but should you choose to reject God, which we all have, we all have fallen and gone astray, all have sinned. Human iniquity is we pass it on generation to generation. You can argue, and I have. It's, <laughs> I think it's been on the podcast. If not, I know I have as part of my counseling. That is just part of human development. I don't celebrate necessarily human development as the end of all existence. It is the end of human existence, however, in many ways. It is the highest order of human existence to be emotionally and psychologically all we can be. Physically, all we can be. 
And that is where, again, the trouble is, is when you're a child, you think as a child because developmentally you're not capable of getting to such highest order of concepts. Do you have to? No, children are born innocently so and lovingly so, but because the way the material world operates and the corruption therein, even so, generationally, beginning with Adam and Eve, nobody escapes it. You're given, unfortunately, all that we still think in all but the most carnal materialistic terms, and it's easier for you to grab a hold of. It is survival of the fittest. It is in basic terms than sympathetic nervous system operation, which is fight or flight kind of thinking. And there's that lag. It takes time to get to a place where we can accept we're not what the world existence is about. We can be a part of it. Should we be derelict in our duties, we can create some problems. Most of it is self-destructive, but we can take others down with us. And in that, there's many ways to kill someone besides just murdering them. In cold blood, as they used to call it. But it's not about us. It's about God. Number one commandment. First, to know there is a God. And then to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then love others as you love yourself. Jesus said that. I don't know that is the entirety as much he would have said that. I don't know that that would be what we would, I would want to say what the mind of Jesus would be in the sense of bringing us back to that one most important of all points. And then he believed, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life is really the essential, and Jesus said that to Nicodemus, element of the gospel But I think after that, if that is it, then it's got to be the two great commandments. But it was in the Old Testament such that Moses came off the mountain with ten. And the ten really were the two. The two just became a much concise, basic, simplistic way. So you don't have to remember ten. You just have to remember two. But it captures all ten. So I'm going to still kind of believe that may be as much, if not the foundation, at least sentinel, as it came from foundational material of the Old Testament. But what I do believe, though, is if we abide in the first, or we come to the second, which is really John 3.16, possibly the first, then the second, or the most basic foundational to all life, the two great commandments become (laughs) much easier to grasp, at least in terms of significance and importance and as basis for our life. Now we're going to go to Romans, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou, whosoever, Thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. 
But we're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them who commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them who do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, Treasures up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but unto them that are contentious And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles who have not the law do by nature... The things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And now, verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. It's all about God's judgment, but God's been judging us all along. He's only been able to do that, however, and God, he doesn't need me to explain anything. I don't need to justify any of the word of God. I want to, though, as much my gospel to share it with you, but I'm really sharing it, examining it, considering it first as application to myself so that I might, in my judgment of not you, but me, come to the realization, I don't need to do any of that for God. I just need to appreciate, though, God has set it up such by the Holy Spirit all along From the beginning of humankind, from the beginning of you, the day of your conception, the Holy Spirit has been in you to reach Jesus Christ or to example Jesus Christ in human awareness as we look around us and see the world as we come to that age of accountability. We're fully actualized. 
we can say, oh, that's what it's to be. That's who I'm to be. That's what it's to be, to be the best a human could be, is Jesus. But more than just my human awareness, as in my flesh, that at that point, before acceptance of Jesus as Lord, Messiah, Lord of my life, Messiah, the Christ, I'm still lost. (laughs) Because my lost condition is that I am not making the most critical judgment or have either not arrived at a place of accountability where I can be held for, what are you going to do with Jesus, David? My judgment. I want to do that first before the white throne judgments, certainly. Where then, at that point, it will be a pronouncement of my rejection or acceptance of Jesus after the fact. Let's do it now. Let's do it while we have a chance. Let's do it while we still have an active choice. Because if I make that judgment unto Jesus Christ in the right moment and time for me, and I should say that too, all those that came before Jesus Christ, historically, again, generationally speaking, they were like children and adolescents. They were only held accountable to where they were developmentally. Does developmental development, human development, either personally or culturally or as a species even, the amass of all that knowledge that the Old Testament captures, does that save you? No, but it prepares you. It logistically puts you in a position. I'll go back to something I kind of didn't finish the thought on a moment ago. Children are innocent in their love. It is in them to love. That is the judgment of God. Upon conception, we have the capability upon creation of humankind. We had the capability to love, and we did, but at the same time though the flesh which is at enmity if it doesn't stay in accord and how does it stay in accord with daily conversations as Old Testament would go with God as New Testament go with Jesus through the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God alive in us unto love Children love and they love innocently, but you go through corruption. The minute we're born into flesh, experience flesh, we are in corruption. It doesn't have to mean that God just turned us loose and knew full well the devil was going to have us. It does mean, though, that the corruption is our inhuman inadequacy, which is, again, a certain degree of iniquity, but iniquity is institutionally so, a bad perspective that we pass down generation to generation. It took all of that to get to Jesus, as with children and adolescents, but some people don't grow up. They hit the age of accountability, and instead of accepting Jesus, they reject the Christ, or what they're called to be, except of allowing the Holy Spirit to make them aware, bring that level of awareness to them, of Jesus being what they're called to, what they should be. They ignore it. 
run away from it. Deny. And go further into now. (laughs) Apostasy. Now that they know, and everyone knows, you know when you're being mean to someone. You know when you're harming someone. You know when your will is to harm someone or kill someone, do evil unto someone. How? Well, you could have read the Bible. It's very literal. I don't discourage reading the Old Testament even. You sometimes need to be reminded because of denial, rejection. You're just still very selfish, self-centered. You can say, oh, well... That's the unfortunate thing. David, you can't say that. The Bible can't say that. Because some people are born into such lousy homes, poor parents, they couldn't possibly know any different and better. Give them a break. And I do think some of that's true. I think it does make it more difficult to overcome and to find Christ There's a greater stronghold in why we should bring our children up in the way of the Lord. I've said that on prior podcasts and continue to say that in counseling context. And we'll probably say it again on future podcasts and in counseling context. But lest any would not be treated equally. God is not a respecter with persons. The Holy Spirit is there speaking to each and every one of us, regardless of where we're from. Regardless of who we are, what culture we're from, regardless of what somebody has done who's come before us, with the blessing, either to the bad or the good. Do it to the good. I don't. I'm not saying don't do it to the good. I'm just saying... If it should be, the only way that God's judgment can be fair is if I don't judge it because I couldn't possibly understand all of that. Only God knows what you've lived through. Only God knows the obstacles and the barriers that the evil therein of life and life is mortality in mortality. You are going to have to do something with death. You live the earliest part of your life to serve you. You gird yourself. Jesus told Peter. But there'll come a time when you have to let go of that because that is only functional, adaptively so, early on in life, possibly even up to the age of accountability. After that, the more you hold on to that paradigm the harder it's going to be, more difficult it's going to be when the inevitability of your mortality reminds you it's not about you. It's about life. And even then, you have a limited scope of service within your life, which is time and space, carnality, mortality. Life doesn't stop once you pass on. Life will not stop should it be that the human species eventually, which I am inclined to think, is the end. When Jesus comes again, it'll be the end of humanity. 
But that isn't the end of life, and it certainly isn't the end of God. It may be the end of our understanding of God, terms, human conceptions. God translated himself through the Holy Spirit, personified himself, gave himself personification. And certainly in Jesus, that is what it's all about. He's person. Jesus is a person, but he is God. But it's all so that we would understand that. But when our humanity is gone, we don't need that any longer. But that isn't to discount the importance of it before, because salvation is now. Before we get there, we have a choice. Before we take others down, we have a choice. We can grow up, but you have to want to at that age. Even if you just apply that to adulthood in more secular, psychological, developmental terms. You still have to want to and you have to will to because it takes a bit of work to overcome a lot of childishness. And if you've not been taught much better or you've really not been taught at all or you've been taught bad, you're going to have a difficult time overcoming that. A lot of Christian counseling is about that. You're still thinking as a child, acting like a child. We want to help you overcome that. But even should you not, you're going to be held accountable to the fact that it was in you too. The Holy Spirit has been working on your behalf from the very beginning. He does not need human development To bring you through or to preserve you in life. There's a lot of people that just are incapable of achieving the highest order of human development. Some people's IQ is not as high as other people's. Some people's EQ is not as high as other people's. Some people have developmental disabilities and delays. Only God can judge that. But... Really, in some ways, there's no need for that judgment because more than that, you're a spiritual being or have the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of life in you should you then in spirit, human spirit, choose (laughs) two, two great commandments. Love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and spirit. Your entity, your identity, your personification. You have to give it to Jesus who then makes way for you to be reconciled unto God in the Holy Spirit so you can do the things that God put in you to do from the beginning. The revelation that comes After receiving Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit empowerment is you choosing to allow him, the Holy Spirit, to manifest the intentions and will of God which have been there all along in your life to love one another. The royal law. This passage I read you today, I believe speaks to that. But it speaks to that in this sense. We'll know them, those who are of Jesus, and not. But we can't judge them. Because we don't know who 
is going to make the ultimate of choices? We don't know if we're going to be part of, in an evangelistic way, presenting Jesus so they can see him. We don't know as much as we would then example Christ in our life. We're not Jesus. We are a vessel, but in that same way, we become in Jesus, like Jesus, the physical manifestation, the personification. The lost needs something to grab a hold of. We are that something that they can grab a hold of. Hopefully not literally. They may compliment you. Oh, you look so wonderful. They may say, oh, you remind me of Jesus. Would that not even be better? You look wonderful. Oh, let's go back to the wonderful part. You're so smart. You're like Einstein or Elon Musk, if you think that way. You're like your favorite movie star, Tom Hanks, or if you think that way. You're all things to all matter of men to win them over to Christ. But that's not what it's about. What it's about is to get their attention in that way. It's not manipulative, it's relatability. But the winning them over to Christ then requires you to example Jesus. So if they say, you're wonderful, you're awesome, you're everything that I thought, sports hero, beautiful person, whatever it is that they think they want to be in the moment they're in, and if they're lost, if they're young, you know, you can say, well, that's just discovery. If they're adults and they're still thinking that way, it's sad, but they're still thinking that way. You can be that, but not for the sake of being that, and certainly not the sake for, of you feeling good about you. It's not about you again, but it's about then allowing that to be a way that God has used, chosen, so that you might get to know them. That's what I said earlier. You have to get to know the person. There is an intuitive dimension to love. I think most people, dogs, he said about dogs, they can know whether you love them or not. Or they know whether or not, intuitively, you're good or bad. And maybe there's some truth to that. There's a lot of charlatans out there who appear to be something, angels of light. That they're really not. But get to know them. (laughs) And see what they do. And hang out with them. And talk to them. But as people do that with you, let that then be your witness. God is not a respecter of persons because it's not about persons. It's about the Holy Spirit. There is a personification to everything. Even God and Jesus and Holy Spirit. For the sake of Our humanity, because our humanity is so superficially driven, (laughs) narcissistically, empirically, we're all about what it looks like, touches, what it feels like, what it sounds like, and smells like, and tastes like. It's just our primary modes of taking all the data in. We're oriented toward that. But it's the intuitive. What's it feel like? Maybe... It's, not, it's more than a feeling. It's love. But you do probably register that when I say intuition. It's probably more feeling directed. 
but it's not sympathetic nervous system operation, fight or flight feelings, although it could be somewhat that. Is it safe? Do I feel threatened? Or the, the piloerection? Are the hair standing up on the back of my neck and on my arms and that? Ooh, there's something going on here I need to be aware of. Do I sense danger or do I sense comfort? Oh, that's important. But we really want it to be the love. We want them to feel as innocent, as comfortable, as it would have been with the innocence of childhood. But we have to realize not everybody has had that, even from birth. So even with them, as I said earlier, it's going to be harder even with them to maybe establish that. But if you go around judging them and you say, oh, well, look at you, you're lesser than, or you don't have this, you don't have that. And even if you try to do that without saying it in front of them, you're still judging them and they know that. From your heart, though, you have to love them. God loves us not from the outward, but from the inward. He wants us to love him from the inward, not the outward. You may only be aware of him from an outward representation, but the further you go in understanding God, the deeper the revelation of who God was from the book, the Old Testament, the books of the Old Testament, to the gospel and the epistles of the New Testament, it changes because we start, empirically so, Life in superficial operations. It takes emotional and psychological development for most of us to get to a point where we begin to understand it's not all about superficial operations. We then begin to realize there are intuitive dimensions to it. And then all of a sudden we call it spiritual. And then we begin to realize, well, yes. And then even then it can be somewhat fraudulent. There could be a bit of spirituality. But it really isn't the complete spirituality. It could be a bit of love. And maybe it is love. And maybe there's times when it really is the perfect example of reciprocity. You do this, I'll do that. It's equal. No. We're built for unconditional love. But somebody's got to example it. Are any of us going to be capable of doing it? Certainly without Jesus, the answer is no. Even if we're aspirational, no. Can some of us do it altruistically without Holy Spirit, without Jesus? Yes, but even then there's a narcissistic bent. We call it martyrdom egotistical bent. We call it martyrdom. I have to admire it, though, to some extent. It's a willingness to lay down your life for another, but it's still self-service, aggrandizement. You can sort of be judged by that. Maybe that's the Apostle Paul, before he came to know Jesus, Saul, on the road to Damascus. But even he, in that best of intentions, knew fully well it wasn't love and he was part of the killing jealousy all of those things that come from trying to be so good but ended up failing and then hating anything and everything that looks like it might be better than you instead of understanding 
<laughs> All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only thing that makes any of us better is the Holy Spirit. But that's what we're going to be judged according to. Whether in Jesus Christ, acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have understood All of this is so that we might see then the full revelation of God as with Holy Spirit manifestation. Jesus brings us to that. Jesus takes us through all the struggles, the trials. He is a safe refuge for us to retreat to. He is the cloak of righteousness because he did do it even in human dimensions as he was human. Even meaning lesser. He was God, but he had the Holy Spirit too in him as we do. He did that though in that way that he is encouraging us through what? Again, the two great commandments, but then we'll go back. I guess that resolves that whole thing about which is greater, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or, again, the two great commandments. Love God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and others if you, as you love yourself. They go hand in hand. I'm going to say John 3.16. But if you don't get to, again, once more, the two great commandments and show that, you've only done the first part of that. And that is, in and of itself, only selfish. Everybody should want to be saved. Everybody would want to think. They matter and they have importance. It's narcissism. It's egotism, but it's just humanism too, and it's our humanity. But if we can't give it away, if we can't, as even I went and spoke of earlier in the podcast, went to Jesus is speaking to Peter in that last chapter of John to exchange girding yourself for stretching out your hands and helping others and being led to their needs and their call on your life, even unto your death, whatever that would be. You're going to pass on. Death doesn't have to be evil and ugly and awful. We said that I said that, even in context of the natural. But now we see it in context of the supernatural. That's how God's going to judge us. That's what I think Romans is speaking of, Paul is speaking of. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them who do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up thyself wrath against the day of wrath, a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Your day of accountability is going to come. Let this be the day. <laughs> Let this message be part of that. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Understand it's not about you and the rest of it. It's going to be his to judge. And aren't you glad that he's going to apply the same judgment to you as he does even to the lost? But you will have received the inheritance where they will have done nothing but, as the Apostle Paul put it, treasure us up unto thyself 
or thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of righteous judgment of God. Your white throne judgment is going to be, did you or didn't you do it? That justifies, really, whether you made the right choice. It is empirically, for, again, human sake, translation, personification, necessary that we understand. That proves it. But if, another way of saying it is, if you can't do it, then you don't believe it. And going to verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And here we go. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. If you say it, I love you, and you do the opposite, then you're nothing but a hypocrite. And your judgment is a false one. It's corrupt. And you will be judged by that. For when the Gentiles, who have not the law, do do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also being witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Just because you're a Gentile does not make you better than a Jew, or because you're a Jew better than a Gentile. Both, all of sin and follow sure of the glory of God, have to go the same path and route. But it's no better for the Gentiles to judge the Jews by that same flawed standard as the Jews were at that moment of Christ's coming and the need for the Christ, Jesus, to be manifest so that there would be no doubt as to what it would be to be Emmanuel. (laughs) God in human form in Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, the mind of God, the mind of Christ aligned in human manifestation to the end of fulfilling what God created us all along to be. To love one another. To fulfill the royal law. That's what you're going to be judged by. But you're not going to necessarily be able to see that superficially. You'll have to to get to know. You'll have to have intimacy with. Not only each other, but as with, again, the two great commandments, first God. But if you read his word and you begin to understand him and see him and you say, oh, that's what I want to be. And then you say, but I can't because I'm not good enough. I'm not capable enough in my infirmity of my flesh, my humanity. And then all of a sudden you get to the New Testament part where you understand, oh, it's Jesus. That's what it looks like. And more than even being Jesus, because even Jesus was subject to mortality, mortality is not a curse any longer. Mortality is the release so that I can be freed from my mortality, my humanity, 
I can now serve him in spirit. And the more I serve him in spirit and allow that, which has been there all along, not only as with the day of Pentecost, as a day of reconciliation that is bore of, born of, and bore of our day of accounting, accountability, or at least coming to the day of accountability, of accepting Jesus, then everything from that point on is less about me judging And just entrusting it all to God. But I only can do that because it's been in me all along. I am not either bound to more or less of what I got before I came to Jesus. Because now in Jesus, I got everything I need because it's already in me. And I will not be then judged by anybody what they've done to me, what they haven't done to me, what my parents did or didn't do, what their parents didn't do or did or what they've done from the beginning of time with Adam now I'm judged by what I have chosen to do with Jesus in the moment I'm in right now talk about the great reset God doesn't reset Himself, he, he allows us to reset ourselves. God doesn't change his testimony, his word. He allows us to be in time and space. Oh, think about it. Come to an awareness of it. Consider it. Recognize it's not working. There's an emptiness inside of me. Recognize I'm harming more than helping. Recognize that all these things that I say that I want, I'm doing the opposite. Oh, wretched person that I am. I need Jesus. Jesus, now son of David, have mercy upon me. And then in the name of Jesus, begin to realize once I've received Jesus, the full operation, The fullness of his love, the love language of God, is already in me. (laughs) How do I know that it's already in me? Well, even for the sake of that, why through judgment? Do I do it? But those that maybe didn't get as much as I did? Look, they're able to get it. And maybe even do it better than me. I should be jealous of them. I should learn from them. Because it's not about them any more than it's about you. It's about God and glorifying Him. And interestingly enough, speaking of glory, that's exactly where I think a lot of this that Paul speaks to. When he speaks to, Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them who do such things and doest the same? Thou shalt escape the judgment, or despisest thou the riches of his riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? God told Moses when he collected the Ten Commandments, mentioned this earlier in the podcast today, again. Moses was smart enough to seek out God's glory, but God said, I'll forgive who I want to, and you're not subject to, in any way, shape, or form, generational curses. You're not subject to generational trauma. You can overcome it in Jesus. 
that could be the segue back to what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. It's helping you to overcome, helping you to realize, helping you to understand it all begins with Jesus, and then it all begins with the Holy Spirit, and then it all begins with God. But all of that began in the beginning. You're just catching up with it. But the good news is, He's already made a way for you. You just have to stop making that you're saving yourself and your selfishness of your adolescence and childhood. The first decisions or basis for the first decisions. Let it be how you can serve God and let it be giving your life then to Jesus and in that way dying to yourself so that Jesus can speak to you through the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can become your conscience so that you do not have to then worry about impenitence or treasuring up to thyself wrath against the day of the wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God. When the white throne judgment comes, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what I lead with when it comes to what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry Podcast, but also in Specialized Pastoral Care Christian Counseling. Should you want to reach out to us for whatever reason, you can call us 304-528-9220, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. What is Covenants? Christian Counseling Services, Specialized Pastoral Care, Christian Counseling Services Podcast, CovenantsOnline.com, at Facebook, at Covenants on Facebook and YouTube. Or you can, again, join us again for, once again, the next podcast. Until we get a chance, though, to break bread and fellowship again, I want to wish you the best in Jesus Christ, and I want to thank you sincerely for joining us. Hopefully you'll get a chance to meet again.